So Luke chapter 6, starting reading at verse 12. This is God's word. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. And from them, he chose 12 whom he also named apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the Zealot, Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem, from the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases, as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits. And they were healed, and the whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out from him and healed them all. Then he lifted up his eyes toward his disciples and said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and cast you out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. For in that day, rejoice, sorry, in that day, and leap for joy, For indeed, your reward is great in heaven. For in the like manner, their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, 
just as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher. But everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit, for every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house And could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like the man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. Amen. We end our reading there at verse 49. And we thank God for this reading from his truth. Let's take a moment in prayer to ask for God's help to understand his word. Oh God, you are gracious and kind. You are loving. And we thank you that you have given us the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, the foundation of the prophets and apostles, on which we may base our lives and this church here on earth. We ask, O God, that you would help us today to understand what Jesus is teaching us in this passage. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Whenever you are a preacher, you become a collector. Uh, You collect stories and illustrations, uh, things which you think to yourself, that'll make it into a sermon someday, or most often, there's a children's address in that somewhere. I came across a quote recently, um, it's actually painted 
on the walls of the indoor gym at Ulster Rugby's stadium so the players can see it as they're working out. And whenever I looked into the background of the quote, I thought to myself, that'll make it into a sermon someday. It was written by a man called Wilfred Spender. He was a Plymouth-born newspaper manager. He became quartermaster of the Ulster Volunteers. He was general staff officer for the 36th Ulster Division. He was a winner of the Military Cross for actions at Thiepville and cabinet secretary in the new Northern Ireland in 1921. This is what he wrote. I am not an Ulsterman, but yesterday, the 1st of July, as I followed their amazing attack, I felt that I would rather be an Ulsterman than anything else in the world. My pen cannot describe adequately the hundreds of heroic acts I witnessed. The Ulster Volunteer Force from which the division was made has won a great name that equals any in history. Their devotion deserves the gratitude of the British Empire. Whenever I read that quote, my heart swelled. It makes me pleased to have been born an Ulsterman. And it makes me want to live up to the legacy of past Ulstermen. But here's the thing. There is something better than being an Ulsterman. And that is being a member of God's kingdom. Being a kingsman. Being part of the church of the king. Jesus Christ. And that's what this passage is all about. This is about the church. It's about the the re-establishment of God's people on earth as Christians rather than Israelites through the sole king and head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ. There are great shadows of the Old Testament hanging over our passage today. In the book of Deuteronomy, God's people were established as a nation. And they were established as a nation under God's representative on earth, Moses. Moses addressed the people in the book of Deuteronomy as as they stood on the plain. He appointed 12 leaders, one for each tribe, and he spoke the law of God to the people. Along with that law, in the book of Deuteronomy, there come associated blessings for those who are part of God's people and keep the law, and curses for those who oppose God and break his law. And so are you starting to pick up what Jesus is doing here in Luke chapter 6? He is establishing a new nation, a new kingdom, a new people of God. This people will will comprise of the Jews who trust in him, along with all others who put their faith in Jesus. But it will exclude those who oppose him and who stand against him. Jesus teaches the people on a, a level place, on a plane. 
he appoints 12 new leaders, apostles, and he gives the law. He, he gives us these rules for how life works in his kingdom. He pronounces blessings upon his people and woes or curses for those who oppose him. This passage puts before us the vision of Jesus for his kingdom, for his people, the church. It shows us there are two ways to live. Either we are part of his people, following his apostles, keeping his laws, experiencing his blessings, or we oppose him, ignoring his apostles, breaking his laws, and experiencing curses. There's no middle ground here. Jesus is showing that he is the king of the kingdom, and either we are for him or we are against him. We cannot be neutral. There is no Switzerland in this. Either you're one of Christ's people or you are against him. Either you're a kingsman or you're something else. Jesus is doing something new, something different. It's connected to what went before. It's connected to what Moses did for the Israelites. It's clearly connected to that, but it's also totally new. We've seen Luke kind of prepare the way for us in this, saying in previous weeks that new wine requires new wineskins. What we saw is that new wineskins are similar to the old wineskins, but they're also radically different. And here in this chapter, Jesus lays out his vision for his people on earth. He gives his people new leadership through the apostles new obligations, and new blessings. We're going to think about each one of those at a time. New leadership. Moses appointed 12 leaders for the people. And here in Luke chapter 6, Luke tells us that Jesus appointed 12 men, whom we often call the disciples, but Luke calls them here the apostles. And this is hugely significant. It, it marks a real shift for the people of God. Jesus is basically saying the, the old thing has passed away. The, the order where the, the scribes and the Pharisees were ruling, well, that's gone. And, and now, through much prayer and deliberation, Jesus has appointed 12 ordinary men to do something very special and extraordinary. Jesus has come to proclaim the good news. He has come ruined sinners to reclaim. And over the last number of chapters, he's shown us that his kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this world. Jesus' kingdom includes those people that the world would reject, the, the, the people that the world would despise. Think about who we've interacted with in Luke's gospel. Young virgins, old prophets, lepers, paralytics, sinners, tax collectors. All these people are welcome in Jesus' kingdom. To come into his kingdom, they, they turn away from the world and they follow Jesus. And Jesus takes these ordinary people 
He saves them and he commissions them into service for him in his kingdom. But there are these 12 who are particularly special in leadership. Their names are recorded carefully by Luke. And what Luke wants is for us to have confidence that these are the men that Jesus has appointed himself. Jesus has sent these men forth to be eyewitnesses of his life and his resurrection. You see, it's upon the the eyewitness of these men that the New Testament is put together. And so for Theophilus, whom Luke is writing to, and to us today, Luke is giving us confidence in these leaders as appointed by Christ. The Pharisees and the scribes are bad leaders. They are filled with hypocrisy, and so they are not to be trusted. But we can trust these 12 because they have been appointed by Jesus himself. Now, there's great application for us in this. Throughout the the passage, Jesus teaches that following the Pharisees is a bad idea. They are bad trees who produce bad fruit. They are blind guides. They have planks in their eyes and they will lead us into a pit. Instead, we need to have confidence in those who Jesus has appointed himself. Those whose words are recorded for us in the New Testament. If you and I want to know what Jesus thinks about something or how we should act in a certain situation, well, we have the words of Matthew and John and James and Peter and so on in the New Testament. Paul is an apostle as well, although, as Paul says himself, he was born out of time. He, he wasn't appointed by Jesus until his experience on the road to Damascus. But he himself writes in Ephesians about how the the church is this building of all different kinds of people from all kinds of places. And then he says this. He says, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. In the church, we are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. What does that mean? That means we're built on the New Testament and the Old Testament. The apostles who wrote the New Testament and the prophets who wrote the Old Testament. Christ is the cornerstone. But we cannot ignore the word that Christ has given us through the apostles. Because Jesus himself appointed those apostles as we've read in our passage today. And for that reason, can I say again, as we've said before, we need to devote ourselves to the teaching of the Bible. It's so important. It's so important for us as God's people, the church, in the kingdom of Christ here on earth, we need the words of our King in our ears so that we will live for him and we will serve him, so that we will experience blessing and growth. In the book of Acts, in chapter 2, we're told about the early church. We're told that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, the apostles' teaching, 
in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. That's our pattern, isn't it, for life in the church? We make every use of every opportunity to engage with the word of God, the apostles' teaching. We make every use of fellowship with one another. We celebrate the Lord's Supper together and we pray together. And we need to do all those things as much as possible. Because when we engage with with the obligations of Christ's kingdom, when we engage with the, the leadership of Christ's kingdom, then we know the blessings of Christ's kingdom. We're going to move on to think about the obligations. Jesus places new kind of rules or laws before the people in this passage. As I've said, it's very similar to Matthew's gospel. Jesus actually raises a a pretty high bar for how his people should live. What's this about? It's really about having a cup that's not just clean on the outside, but is also clean on the inside. It's about having hearts which are desperate to please the king by keeping his laws and obligations. Now I have to say that that what our sinful hearts tend to do is to trap ourselves in the law. We were thinking about this a little bit bit in, in the midweek last week. Please do not hear the words of Jesus in this passage as an instruction to feel guilty for what you're not doing. That's not the intention. One commentator I read this week had something really helpful to say about this. He wrote this. He said, The purpose of these verses is to challenge Christian disciples to genuine Christ-likeness. The teaching is not designed to produce endless, guilt-ridden, soul-searching. This is trying to push us to be more like Jesus. What Jesus is doing here is is teaching us that the the, the things that this world values are not the things that people in his kingdom value. And so we don't live the same way as the world. The world does, does not look like God's kingdom. Jesus is saying radical things here that are are totally opposite from what our world believes. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. That's way more than what the people of this world expect. This world is kind to people who are kind to us. Respect is earned. Isn't that what people say? But Jesus says, no, you need to pray for those who use you. You need to bless those who curse you. And you need to do good to those who hate you. And we don't have time to to really drill down into all of the commands that Jesus is giving here. And we're running through many of them in our reading from the law in Matthew's gospel. Uh, But I do want to say two things. First of all, I think everything here is summed up in verse 31. Verse 31 is sometimes called the golden rule. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. 
Jesus is teaching that life in his kingdom is not lived for ourselves. It's lived for the good and the benefit of others, even if that means we have to suffer. Go go the extra mile. Give your tunic to someone who asks for your cloak. Turn the other cheek. All of these are expecting something that's really hard to do. It's that we take on the humiliation for the good of other people. The church is the kingdom of Jesus. But unlike any other kingdom, we do not exist for our own good. We exist for the good of others. And that's because of who our king is. He's not like any other king. The obligations that he places on us as his people are the very things that he himself took on so that we might be brought into his kingdom. Jesus is not like the worldly kings who who send their troops out to fight and, and to die on the king's behalf. No, Jesus demonstrates that he lives out the values and obligations of his kingdom. He went to the cross. He, he was betrayed by one of the 12 leaders he appointed. And he went willingly to his death. And so it's through his grace that he changes us. He, he turns us into people who want to keep his commands. As the people of Jesus, we, we have the inside of the cup cleaned. We, we have our, our desires, our hearts changed. We become trees of Christ's kingdom, bearing the fruit that he would have us bear. Through his grace and mercy, our King Jesus died on the cross to change us into willing servants who long to serve and follow him. And he also died to secure the future of his kingdom and his people. And that's the second thing I want to say about all of these obligations. We do these things, and it's important that we do, but we do them with an eye on the future. The story of the wise and the foolish builders is probably very well known to us. And the point of the story sort of hangs over the whole passage. The point is this. If we settle for what we have here and now today, then that's all we'll ever have. And one day it'll be taken away from us. That's what the foolish builder was like. He, he made a house that would do him there and then. He, he didn't think about the future. He, he didn't think about the wind and the rain. What happened when the wind and the rain came? Well, it was taken from him. It fell flat. The wise builder, on the other hand, looked to the future. He dug down deep. He, he went into the pain and the effort in the here and now because it would be worth it in the future. He built a house that would withstand the wind and the waves. Jesus is calling you today to live a life that is really difficult. It's not easy being a Christian. Turning the other cheek is difficult. But Jesus is saying that if you are in his kingdom, you're not living for today. And so some pain and loss today is worth it because what you are building is a kingdom that will not be destroyed. A kingdom that will last forever 
Not even the gates of hell will stand against it. But being a follower of Jesus in his kingdom will require some short-term suffering. Not forever, but for a time. And that's where we come to the new blessings of his kingdom. And for these, we've got to back up to the start of the passage. Jesus gave us what are often referred to as the Beatitudes. Beatitude is a word which means blessing. And what's interesting here in Luke is that each blessing is contrasted with a curse. I wonder if you noticed that. Jesus is splitting the world in two. Those who follow him will be blessed. Those who don't will be cursed. The curses are given in a series of woes. We, we read them and as we read through them, you can hear a direct contrast. If you look at, at verses 20 through to 23, or sorry, through to 26. Jesus says, blessed are the poor, woe to the rich. Blessed are the hungry, woe to the well-fed. Blessed are those who weep, woe to those who laugh. Blessed are those who are hated and excluded, woe to those who are well spoken of. Now we've kind of covered this before in Luke. Jesus isn't, is, is speaking of spiritual reality here. He's not condemning those with money or full stomachs. What he's saying is that those who do not seek his kingdom and are satisfied only with the things of this world, those people are cursed. Because this world is all they'll ever have. They have already received their reward. Woe to those who are outside of Jesus' kingdom. Because the favour of mankind will have to be enough for them. They will never have the favour of God. Jesus is saying, keep your eyes on the future. There are blessings ahead. Keep looking forward don't make your home in this world his kingdom is one that has come but is yet to come look forward there are blessings up ahead in the hope of heaven for those who place their trust anywhere but jesus this is the best things will ever be enjoy your house on the sand Because you might have it today, but it's going to be gone tomorrow. Things are not going to get any better. It's better to enter the kingdom of Jesus, to have faith in him. Because for those who are in Jesus, today is the bleakest and darkest it will ever be. Today will be hard. But we have an eternity before us that is bright. And will be getting brighter every day. I'd rather be an Ulsterman than anything else in all the world. But I'd far rather be a member of Christ's kingdom, a kingsman, because it reaches beyond this world, even forever. Let me pray for us. 